the wounded children in the war on terror. Not only physically wounded, but psychologically wounded. They're paying the price of our crazy world, and we need to pay attention. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. I'm here to help you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Well, today I'm going to be talking with you about the three groups of children that um, are are the wounded ones um, and who get lost oftentimes, other than uh, a picture popping up that goes viral that I'm going to be talking about. But, but really, um, we need to think more, not just about the numbers killed of people in attacks and the numbers injured, but we need to think about the children who are injured in the attacks and in other ways. So let me tell you about these three groups of children who get hurt by the violence in our world. First of all, there's the children um, who are literally wounded by the war, such as the Aleppo boy um, who we saw the photo of, the sweet, sad little boy from Syria who was sitting in the back of an ambulance both physically wounded, but even more psychologically wounded. That's one group, and we're going to talk about him. Then there are the cubs of the terrorists, the cubs of the caliphate, they're called. These are the kids, the little kids, um, who, are, who, who are brainwashed and kidnapped by terrorists and made into terrorists little terrorists and who are being used more and more as suicide bombers, such as the little boy who um, created the suicide attack in Turkey this past week. Then a group that you may not be thinking of is our own children. Our own children are paying the price of the war on terror because our children, even though you may not want to think about this or believe this, uh, in fact, our own children, comfy in their homes, are seeing these pictures, the Aleppo boy, the turkey attack, and many other faces of terrorism on the television when you can't change the channel fast enough or you don't change the channel or breaking news comes across the screen and um, the pictures that they see on the internet when they're looking for something else the pictures on the covers of magazines and newspapers when they're just walking in the street. We, as much as we would like to, we cannot keep the war on terror away from our own kids, even if they are less at risk of being actually captured in an attack than the ones in Turkey or in Syria. So we, let's talk about this today and think about what it is that you can do and how it is that you need to look at these kinds of children and, and think about this when you're thinking about the war on terror. Not just the numbers, not just what country it's in, not just whether it's ISIS or Al-Qaeda or some other group, but the children. When um, we... Let's let's look first at the at the Aleppo boy. It's kind of it's kind of sad to call him the Aleppo boy, but uh, you know what I mean. His name actually is Amran Daknish, 
and um, you have seen him in the picture of um, sitting alone in the ambulance, the orange uh, seat of the ambulance and the cabinet covers, the faces of the cabinet. Um, and there he is sitting in a little brown t-shirt and, and shorts, his face covered in blood, um, his, his clothes and his legs, all of him, drops of blood on him. But you know, he doesn't even seem to be that aware of the actual, of the blood or any injuries. He's looking out into space. You know, if, if the, the photo actually doesn't do justice to um, his trauma. If you, you need to find, if you haven't seen it already, you need to find the video of it. Because in the video, you see the um, aid worker, the medical rescuer, the first responder, picking him up and putting him in the ambulance. And it's kind of sad. I mean, obviously, this first responder has a lot of other responding to do, other people in need. Um, but it's kind of sad to see that he sort of plops him down on the ch in the chair in the ambulance and then quickly runs out, not... Not at least in the videos that I saw, and I, um, there were no comforting words. But in any case, yeah, he had a lot of work to do. Uh, the responder, so he plops the boy down on the chair, and the boy is looking dazed. And um, he's just been in this attack. His his village has just been bombed. And okay, he is safe, and I think he has some recognition of that. But he's missing his mommy and daddy. He's missing his brother. He's missing his family. He's missing. He doesn't know what happened. <laughs> what just happened? His world suddenly went to pieces. And um, the physical injuries seem to be the least of it. Yes, it's scary, you know, to see blood on his face. He, he eventually takes his hand to his face and he, he sees that there's blood on it. But he's in such a daze. He's in such shock that that doesn't even really seem to, um, when you see the little boy in the ambulance, he, he touches his face, he touches the, the blood on his face and he's looking at himself. He's has some recognition of the fact that he was injured, but it's more, um, psychological. He's in shock. He really doesn't know what just smashed up his world. He does. He's, he's too young to understand uh, exactly why the people are fighting and why they want to hurt him and why they want to hurt his family. And he's there all alone. And this picture resonates with all of us because we are all children at heart and we have all felt that kind of bewilderment that we see on his little face and the shock. I mean, even if we obviously haven't been in a, our, our village, our home hasn't been blown up, we still have had experiences as little children, where, or even as adults, where we feel that bewilderment, like what just happened to our world, you know? Uh, we've been abandoned by a parent or a lover, and what? <laughs> not, again, not that that's not that that's as horrible as, as what happened to him, but it's it's the fact that we can identify with this with this daze. So um, he's five years old. He was one of five children injured by a Russian or Assad regime strike on his neighborhood of Aleppo. Um, he the rescuers pulled him from the rebel rubble of his house. And he, does, he doesn't even cry. I mean, I think that's one of the saddest things, that he's sitting there, you expect him to cry, 
but he's just so in such shock he he doesn't even cry um now that this picture has gone all around the world um but you know what has have people done about it uh how much has been done we that that really you know how much has that picture moved people to action that i don't know and um probably the answer is that it hasn't moved as many people to action as it should have um now there's a story about how no story in syria has a happy ending because the brother of the Aleppo boy died. Um, he was he was the symbol of the war. You know, everybody felt good. This little boy, the the five year old, was was uh, rescued. But then there was a postscript to this story. His ten year old brother Ali died from the wounds that he sustained in the same airstrike. So um, the Amran, the Aleppo boy, became a global symbol of Aleppo suffering. But um, Ali is the reality that no story in Syria has a happy ending. This was written by um, a Syrian activist based in Washington. Um, there are other Amrans, there are other little Aleppo boys uh, who were injured in this strike and who are injured every day. Um, so the executive director of UNICEF said, empathy and outrage must be matched by action. And then there's a, a local English teacher who um, said, this is very poignant, we tell our children now that we're sorry, said a local English teacher uh, in Syria. They're not American, not French. When they die, you won't see them in the news. That is so true. And so sad. So what, let's look now at the at the other boys, the other victims of the war on terror. Not just boys, by the way. Also, girls, little girls, are being made into suicide bombers. It's it's really and you know does our news um, talk about this enough? Absolutely not. Um, so the the um, You've you probably heard about the wedding in Turkey that was decimated by a suicide bomber um, who went into the crowds of the people dancing and and let off this uh, detonated this suicide bomb. It wasn't. It's not clear yet whether the person detonated it or they were simply the person, the child. Uh, it's thought to be a child between 12 and 13. And um, it's unclear at this point whether the child detonated the bomb himself or whether um, he was just told to go into the crowd of happy dancers and that it would be de detonated at that time by someone outside of the crowd. Um, he, in addition to this little boy that we're, you know, they're still trying to find out more information about who he was. But in the meantime, um, less than 24 hours after this child suicide bombing in Turkey, there was a child who was captured um, in the city of Kirkuk, north of Baghdad. And he had a suicide bomb vest on him. A young boy carrying a suicide vest 
uh, was kidnapped, claimed that he was kidnapped by armed ISIS terrorists who strapped on a suicide vest and ordered him to attack. Now, I don't know um, whether that is true or not, whether in fact he was kidnapped or whether he actually was a volunteer in the terrorist army camps that they have for kids. But um, he was bundled, ironically, he was bundled into a truck after they captured him. Now, just kind of, kind of like there's probably a, a photo. Um, well, there are photos of this boy who doesn't, by the way, look as innocent as the little, I mean, he's 12 approximately, and the little Aleppo boy is five, but still, the pictures of the, um, of this boy um, in, uh, in, near Baghdad um, was, does not look as innocent. But in any case, um, he apparently had earlier fled Mosul, um, which is a city that's still under ISIS control. And also ironically and kind of sadly, um, he was wearing a Barcelona football shirt with um, the world player of the year, Lionel Messi, on the back. And he burst into tears when he was detained by Iraqi police. So this, this arrest came less than 24 hours after another child suicide bomber killed at least 51 people and injured 100 more at a wedding in Turkey. So ISIS um, and, and other terrorist organizations are increasingly using children to carry out deadly attacks, uh, suicide bombing attacks, and other horrendous, horrendous violent crimes. Um, now, it's been claimed that this boy, was the one in Iraq, was planning to blow himself up outside a Shia mosque. And then, listen to this. Um, earlier this year, it was revealed that ISIS released an app teaching the Arabic alphabet to its cubs of the caliphate using cartoon images of weaponry. They used pictures of tanks, ammunition, and swords to help children remember certain letters in its bizarre, uh, as a bizarre learning age. You know, <laughs> we learn A is for apple. And they learn, um, A is for what? Uh, armed, armed truck. Um, uh, it's very, I mean, this is how they are able to get children at this very young, innocent, impressionable age, show them videos that are essentially um, propaganda videos, brainwash them, make them feel, you know, strong and powerful. If you've seen videos of some of the, or photos of some of these terrorist training camps for kids, it, it's like, it's like summer camps that we send our kids to, except we don't, <laughs> our kids learn how to, uh, how to do ceramics or ride horses and their kids learn how to behead people or uh, walk into a crowd of revelers and detonate a suicide vest. Um, they have, they're put through rigorous training. They're uh, even taught how to carry out executions, brutal executions. And um, it is, you know, these are the things that have to be stopped. And these children, even the one I was talking about who didn't look as innocent, the one who was captured in Iraq, who didn't look as innocent as, um, as the five-year-old Aleppo boy, still, he and all the other little children 
in these terrorist training camps are victims. Yes, they're taught to do horrendous things. And yes, um, it's terrible that, I mean, you know, imagine the, the mindset of the little boy, the boy who went into the Turkish wedding and uh, detonated or knew that he was supposed to go into the midst of these dancers and it would be detonated, that the suicide bomb would be detonated. Imagine his mindset that he was taught not to just, not to have any empathy for the people who are dancing. And there were a lot of kids at this wedding and amongst the dead and injured. And so he looked at these people who were dancing around in the wedding and he was able to do what he was told. I mean, it's kind of like automatons, you know, little ro they turned into little robots. And so he was taught to go and, you know, do what, do what the leaders, the terrorist leaders told him to do. And that is similar to the boy who was caught just now before, um, before north of Baghdad, before he uh, was able to detonate his suicide vest. He burst into tears. I mean, being a little older, he had a little more awareness of, of what was going on. But, um, but it is just uh, propaganda. It's just um, kidnapping the minds of these innocent little children and turning them into killers. You know, getting back to the Aleppo boy, um, and because I know, I know that you, I mean, maybe you haven't thought about it before in this way exactly, but I know that you must have been identifying with him and with his feelings to some to some degree. Um, it reminded me when I saw him sitting in the ambulance, looking dazed and confused, it reminded me of the first time that I was in an ambulance. Um, I was uh, in my 20s and I was in uh, Belgium where I was going to medical school and I was in my early 20s and um, I um, I was riding, I used to ride, my friend, my friends all had, my American friends had motorcycles. Well, actually, my Belgian friends, too, had, had motorcycles or motorbikes. Anyway, I was riding on the bike of a friend's motorcycle in the middle of town in Louvain when um, all of a sudden we got hit by a car. And I wound up on the cobblestone sidewalk um, in a lot of pain. And before I knew it, um, I, I was whisked into an ambulance. Well, and I was, I was, well, I was being carried on a stretcher into an ambulance and, um, you know, the, the ambulances, the uh, go over a lot of, most of the streets in Louvain were cobblestone. And, um, when you're when you're in an ambulance with a broken clavicle going over cobblestone streets, it is not fun. I can tell you. Um, but you know, and I knew I wasn't. I, I knew I wasn't uh, going to be in danger of losing my life. But um, you know, a lot of times, if you've been in an ambulance for depending upon what the reason was, but but certainly you're in shock and you're uh, upset and you're wondering what's going to be, ha be happening to you. Are you going to die? Or if it's not that serious, are you going to, you know, how, what is this all going to mean? You know, what's the doctor going to say? What's going to happen when you get to the hospital? It is a very lonely feeling. Um, being in the back of an ambulance by yourself. Uh, at that time, I was 
I was, from what I remember, I was by myself, just like the Aleppo boy, you know, the two um, uh, first responders, I guess you could say, uh, were sitting in the, in the cab of the, of the ambulance. And it's a very lonely, scary feeling. And so I identified with that. It's kind of surreal. And I'm sure if you've ever been in an ambulance, you identified with that little Aleppo boy too, as well as what I was saying before about just times when your whole life is smashed and you feel alone and in shock. So um, getting back now to the, to the, um, the child bombers being, I know I'm kind of going in between the two, but I'm, the, the point of this story is how all these kids are um, are the victims of the war on terror, the sort of the invisible victims of the war on terror. And the reason why terrorists are, are choosing children, some say it might be because, uh, and in certain instances, it's when if they're having trouble recruiting adults, it's a lot easier to uh, grab children and convince children that this is what they should do because um, they don't fully understand death. I mean, that's a key point. Uh, children under eight don't really understand what death is, either their own death or the death of, um, of the people who they are uh, going to kill. So that's part of it. Um, but, and also, of course, <laughs> children make great suicide bombers because the security uh, guards um, don't suspect children and you know they're able to sort of go through the legs go through the crowds uh, much more easily than an adult when even when there is a ton of security so now the third I bet you you're wondering who <laughs> I'm going to talk more about the third group of children that I mentioned our children the children who are not going to be likely to uh, be kidnapped and turned into terrorists, well, at least at least as of uh, as of today. Um, so I'm going to read. It. We're, we're kind of at the point in the uh, in the show where I um, I this is the Ask the Terrorist Therapist section uh, where I answer your letters and emails. So um, I have an email here today from Joe, and Joe says. I was watching television the other day with my nine-year-old daughter when the show we were watching ended and before I could change the channel, breaking news came on with pictures of the boy who was just caught in Iraq with a suicide vest. Last week the same thing happened with the sad little Aleppo boy in the ambulance being flashed all over the news. My daughter started asking questions about what was happening with these little boys. She was very scared and sad. I wasn't sure what to tell her. I didn't want to lie, but I didn't want to frighten her. Well, Joe, yes. Um, this is a problem that lots of parents are facing. A lot of parents feel the same way as you do for the most part. But here, I can tell you the first thing, which is never lie. It is never a good idea to lie to your children about issues related to terrorism. It's never a good it's never a good idea to lie to your children about things related to terrorism 
because they eventually find out, even young children, you think that little children, elementary school children, or, or don't, don't know these things, you can protect them from this horrible news, but it really isn't true because they may have older siblings. <laughs> Your children may have older siblings or they go to school and these, these other children have older siblings who have told the younger children what's really going on. So then your child comes home and they say, mommy or daddy, um, you know, you told me such and such about such and such, but really I heard from Billy at school that lots of people died. I heard that a little child went into this big party and, and killed all these people. He, he was wearing something that, that, a bomb? He was wearing a bomb? Is that, what's a bomb? What, what happened? Why are little children bombing people at a wedding? Huh, Daddy, you told me that that didn't happen, but it did. And then you're in deep trouble, and, because, and as is your child, because now it's not only a scary story about uh, suicide bombers, and little children being suicide bombers, but now they have to worry about whether their mother or father are going to be telling them the truth about what's going on in the world. So that makes the whole situation worst. Worse. Now, first you can ask your child what they think. You know, what, what do they think happened? And then um, ask them what their questions are. You don't have to go into whole great detail. I mean, how much detail you go into depends upon how old they are, how psychologically mature they are, and so on. But um, you can answer things in, in broad terms and, um, and, and say how sad it is and say how there are lots of people who are working to try to make stop these bad things from happening. Um, and uh, you, you can also focus on how the, for example, with the Aleppo boy, the good part of that, how the Aleppo boy was saved, how the first responders, the, the um, paramedics and the health workers and, and came and, and rescued him. Focus on the positive part. And then the also, if the, the story with the boy who was captured near Baghdad before he blew up anybody, talk about that, how he was captured before anything bad happened, and how this boy is now going to get help. He was rescued from the terrorists, and now he too is going to get help. So um, there are ways of finding the positives in all of these horrible stories in the War on Terror. And... Um, I am going to be helping you more with that in more detail because um, my book is coming out um, soon, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror, and it will be answering all of these kinds of questions that you may have and a lot more. Well, um, I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. You've been listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. Thank you for listening. And remember, when there's, a, <laughs> when there's an attack, don't just think of the numbers of people killed and wounded. Think about the faceless victims, particularly think about the children.